0: Well, you're very welcome this morning. It's good to be in the presence of God. Lovely to hear your conversations. Hope you're going to carry them on over coffee afterwards. Um, it's great that Chris is coming to remind us to read the Bible, but the, one of the reasons we have the program, which I hope you take home and use, is so that you can do that every week. The, t- the texts are in there. It's a good habit to get into, but um, it's good to be reminded from time to time. So today, if you have a Bible, you might like to open it at uh, Luke chapter 5, or if you have whatever device. You've got it on, and all other devices are available, and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I still like my book, to be honest. (laughs) I'm a bit old-fashioned, but we're going to be reading from Luke chapter five, um, from verse 17. A bit later on. What's the greatest gift that one person can give to another? Do you suppose? I love this story. And every time I read it, it makes me want to cry. One day, when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from a class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. I thought to myself, why would anyone bring their books home on a Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had a quiet weekend planned. Parties and a football game and my friends tomorrow afternoon. So I shrugged my shoulders and went on. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running towards him. They ran at him, knocking all his books out of his arms, and tripping him so he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about ten feet from him. He looked up, and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him, so I jogged over to him, and as he crawled around looking for his glasses, I saw a tear in his eye. As I handed him his glasses, I said, those guys are jerks. They should really get lives. He looked at me and said, hey, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived near me. So I asked him why I'd never seen him before. He said he'd gone to a private school before now. Now, I would never have hung out with a private school kid before. But we walked and talked all the way home and I carried some of his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid and I asked him if he wanted to play a little football with my friends. He said yes. We hung out all weekend and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him. And my friends thought the same of him. Monday morning came and there was Kyle with a huge stack of books again. I stopped him and said, boy, you're going to really build some muscles with this pile of books every day. He laughed and handed me half the books. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided on Georgetown, and I was going to Duke. I knew that we would always be friends, that the miles would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor, and I was going for business on a football scholarship. Kyle was valedictorian of our class, that means he came top. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation. I was so glad it wasn't me having to get up there and speak. Graduation day, I saw Kyle. He looked great. He was one of those guys who really found himself during high school. He filled out and actually looked good in glasses. He had more dates than I had and all the girls loved him. Boy, sometimes I was jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see he was nervous about his speech, so I smacked him on the back and said, ''Hey, big guy, you'll be great.'' He looked at me with one of those looks, the really grateful ones, and smiled. Thanks, he said. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began. Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through the tough years your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told me the story of the first day we met. He had a plan to kill himself over that weekend. He talked of how he'd cleaned out his locker so his mum wouldn't have to do it later, and that's why he was carrying all his stuff home. He looked hard at me, gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard a gasp go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us about his weakest moment. I saw his mum and dad smiling that same grateful smile at me. Not until that moment did I realise its depth. Never underestimate the power of your actions. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life. What's the greatest gift... One person can give to another, do you suppose? Here's another story I love. Let me ask you the same question, see if you come up with the same answer. Luke chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judah and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way in to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.' The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, "'Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? "'Who can forgive sins but God alone?' Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. So I'm wondering what your answer to that question might be now. I'm wondering if it has something to do with what we might call true friendship. Imagine for a moment what life would have been like for either of the people in those two stories one lonely isolated friendless life full of pain that no one knows anything about one a world that is defined by a mat maybe a couple of feet by a few feet a world of complete dependence on others a world of begging a world of pain both really challenging heart touching stories but I'm wondering if one of them tells of something bigger and better than the other one. So I'm going to focus on that story this morning. Imagine being a paralysed man in the time of Jesus. His life was literally defined by his mat. His mat is what he lives on. He never goes anywhere without his mat. People know him as the man on the mat. His map means he relies on others to do literally everything. Feed him, clothe him, clean him. He can't go anywhere or do anything unless others carry him. And his future, well that's simply more of the same. He has no hope of change. There is nothing that can be done for him medically. And there is no one who can help him. He has nothing he can contribute to the society in which he lives. He will only ever be one of life's takers. His whole life will be a begging one. Whatever dreams he might have of one day things being different, he knows in truth he will never see. He will never be free of his mat. But. But. He has one thing that opens the possibility of change. He has friends. Perhaps... This paralysed man is part of the most amazing life group since Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You remember that? Remember that group meeting in the furnace when a fourth person turned up to join them for the experience? Now I don't know what you think about who that person was. I happen to think it was Jesus himself because I happen to think that that's the kind of thing that Jesus does. He turns up right in the middle of the furnace. And maybe, just maybe, something similar will happen in this life group. You see, the thing is, what makes this story so amazing is the simple truth that without his friends, this paralyzed man will never meet Jesus. And this extraordinary story only takes place because of his friends how is your life group going it's funny when I ask you the question what's the best gift you can give someone you all want to answer when I ask you how your life group's going nobody says a word how's your life group going Barbara how's your life group going that's a thumbs up good I'd really encourage you to find one join one or create one if you're not already in one There's the lifeblood of community. We haven't talked about this for a little while, but we talk about church as being two wings of the bird. I'm still of the belief that Sunday morning is really important. And that meeting together as a community of people is really important. We worship together, we hear God's word together, I hope and pray. And if that's not happening, don't come, (laughs) because you're wasting your time. But the other part of community, because we can't get to know everybody on a Sunday morning, can we? That's just impossible. But we do the other bit in life groups. Small groups where we can meet together and get to know people. I understand that life groups can be challenging and they can be really difficult sometimes. And I know that because I'm in one. So I take all my problems with me. (laughs) And bless them, they listen to me graciously. (laughs) And then they correct me graciously and gently. And I love sitting with other people who've got a different take on what something might mean and how to look at it. And I go away challenged all the time. Truth is, we have to work hard at life groups, don't we? That's true, though, of any real genuine friendship, isn't it? And it was true for this paralyzed man and his friends too. In truth, the odds were completely stacked against them. The ancient world was extraordinarily harsh for people with physical disability or deformity. Today we are much more conscious of the issues and challenges and we have laws in place to prevent every kind of discrimination. But in the ancient world it was brutal. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborn babies with physical deformity. Aristotle wrote, Let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. We can't get our head around that, can we? I almost didn't want to write it. In Rome, in the 5th century BC, there was a law that said, Quickly kill a deformed child. In Israel, there was, of course, another stigma with which to contend. And forgive me, but I think we sometimes still struggle with this. It's the whole understanding of suffering. Suffering, including physical suffering, was considered punishment by God, brought on by the offending person as a consequence for sin, And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, what have I done that I have deserved this? You might not say it in those words, but you get very close if you don't actually say it in those words. When Jesus heals a man born blind in John chapter 9, the question asked of him is this, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. The point for the paralyzed man and his friends, the point for us today, is that this friendship, this life group, was intentional. Against all the odds, they made this friendship work and it cost them. Think of the sacrifices that would have been necessary for this paralyzed man to survive. There was the social stigma, the inconvenience, the time, the money, the uncertainty. They chose to be friends, and they chose to invest in a paralyzed man. Perhaps the challenge for us might be this. It is almost impossible to drift into real friendship. It is almost impossible to drift into real friendship. The real challenge with that, though, might be one word. Time. I've been really struck um, by one of the things I've heard as I've spent just a short time, really, but this last few months in my counselling role at St. Catherine's Hospice. I get the privilege to sit with people either who have lost someone or currently someone who knows they are dying and I I I, I know nothing about counseling right <laughs> honestly God. I've written these essays and stuff and I sit there and I think oh my goodness people will say and they have said this regularly Thank you so much for listening. I've actually come to the conclusion (laughs) that that's really all it is. And by that it makes it sound less, but you understand what I mean. And as I've reflected on that, I've realised one simple thing. What is so valuable is time set aside to talk This is uninterrupted time, one to one, 50 minutes. Nobody butts in, nobody goes out, 50 minutes. And the only reason it happens is because it is intentional. I've had to rearrange my week. I've had to make sure I don't put anything else in my diary at that time in the week. And believe me, I found that harder than I thought I would. I've had to turn down things that I could otherwise have been doing because I'm going to be at St. Catharines to keep that time for counselling. I met with some university friends uh, before Christmas, one Tuesday evening, when I didn't have any clients. I went to London. We hadn't met, we hadn't literally seen each other apart from one guy in the group I'd met for 31 years. I stood, it's a bit of a tangent, it's not in your notes. I turned up at this pub in London, thinking, oh, that'll be all right. I'll wander around and someone will say, hello, Ian, good to see you, mate. I walked and there, must have been 500 people in this pub. It's like a week before Christmas, so I thought, you're kidding me. So I wandered around this pub, nobody sent anything to me. <laughs> so I stood by the door, thinking, well, I know my mate Tappy's coming, because we've been emailing each other on the train, so I know he's coming, and I know he's coming about half past eight. This is about half past six. One guy's supposed to be there at six, at 6 o'clock to welcome everyone, right? So I'm standing there, this so other bloke walks in. I decided I wouldn't buy a drink, because I'd wait until people got there, because I thought I could be buying three drinks before anyone arrives. Uh, and I'm a Baptist pastor, anyway. Uh, anyway, this guy came in, wandered round. I thought, oh, no, I don't recognise him. He bought a drink, carried on wandering round. He got nearer and nearer the door. For 20 minutes, we're standing about as far apart as me and Paul, every now and again sort of looking at each other, doing that thing you do on the tube you know i catch your eye night. eventually i thought oh this is ridiculous so i went up to this guy and said excuse me uh, you wouldn't happen to be waiting for a guys from st luke's would you yes i would he said i said you're not steve though are you he said no i'm bob who are you i didn't recognize him he didn't recognize me i could have gone on tuesday because they decided to get together because some of the guys now live in different countries and one of them was over i couldn't go because i was at st catherine's i would love to have met them again It's proved quite a challenge. And there are sacrifices and there are consequences. And I am fully aware that that is a different kind of friendship than the one we are talking about this morning. But I think you understand the point. And here, here's a very challenging, extremely personal truth: everybody has a mat. Every one of us here this morning has a mat. Think for a moment what it must have been like for a paralysed man on his mat. Do you think he ever got jealous of his friends? After all, he would never be able to do what they were doing. He is, let's be honest, extraordinarily vulnerable on his mat, isn't he? Every time his friends take him somewhere, there's a risk they might drop him. Here's my best guess. We are much, much better at serving than being served. We are much, much better at helping than being helped. We are not so bad when faced with the vulnerability of others, but we are not so good at having others see our own vulnerability. You know, when was the last time you were truly honest with anybody? And I read a book recently, which I found really challenging, where he argues that the beginning of biblical faith, the beginning of biblical faith, is gut-wrenching honesty. (coughs) Truth is, everybody has a mat. Perhaps one of the reasons that Alcoholics Anonymous is so effective... It's because the starting point is admitting that you have a mat. I understand the first thing you have to do if you go to session one is say something like this. Hi, my name is Ian and I am an alcoholic. That's your mat. Right there. Boom. What's your mat? Here's another perhaps more challenging question. Who carries your mat? Perhaps another way of asking it might be this. Who do you show your struggles and weaknesses to? Who do you ask to pray for you in them? Who sees your brokenness? Perhaps true friendship, real deep lasting friendship is letting someone else carry your mat sometimes. And maybe, just maybe, that's what brings a life group to life. That's what happened with this group of friends. That's what they do for this paralyzed man on his mat. Then one day Jesus comes to town. Truth is, we have no idea what these friends know about Jesus. But it's probably true to say that they've heard about him, and they've heard about the things that he's done. Maybe they have dreams for their friend on the mat. Maybe they dream that one day, somehow, against all the odds, and everything they know, he will be able to walk. They want to go and see Jesus, but they don't want to go on their own. Not without their friend. And maybe Jesus can do for their friend what he's done for others. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And so at great cost to themselves, and probably not a little amusement to those watching, they pick up their friend on the mat again. Only this time it's different. Because this time they will carry him to Jesus. When they get to the house, they can't get in. They can't get in because all the religious people have got there first and saved the seats for their mates. But they are determined that their friend will get to Jesus. So they come up with a plan. Let's do a bit of roof crashing. Let's lift the roof off for our friend. So that's exactly what they do. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I kinda hope in heaven there's a there's a little bit of a thing where you can go and see all these things like that happened and you say, Oh hey, what was it really like? Let's be honest with you for a moment. I don't like being interrupted while I'm teaching. If that happens, and it sometimes does, I find I can get a little bit annoyed. I want to say, shut up, this is my show, you be quiet. I have carefully prepared what I am teaching. And what I have to say is, of course, really important. I suspect that Jesus absolutely loved being interrupted while he was teaching that day. Jesus always had really important things to say. I mean that. Really, really important things to say. But I think Jesus loved the roof crashing, the disruption, the confusion. I think he loved seeing four dirty, sweaty, slightly embarrassed faces peering down for a hole in a roof. I think he loved looking into the face of a terrified, paralyzed man on his mat after he had just descended on ropes without the aid of a safety net. I think Jesus was absolutely bursting with joy at the thought of four guys digging a hole in a roof so that their friend could come down, and he's now looking up at them saying, what on earth did you do that for? I think Jesus would have let out a great big yes! Now, it's not recorded in Scripture. Maybe one day we'll find out. The Bible actually records it this way. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friends, there is nothing more deep and profound that, for that a person can hear than those words. Your sins are forgiven. Maybe maybe you long to hear those words deep in your heart. You can. Bring your mat and come to Jesus because he would love to be interrupted. The wonderful privilege of being part of a life group is that we get to carry each other's mats from time to time. Jesus loves it when we lift the roof off for our friends. I love the story of the high school friend. It is extraordinarily powerful because it's friendship that saves a life. But we know that there is a bigger and a better story than the one we see in front of us. We know that it is only Jesus who can do what none of us can ever do. Jesus is the only friend who can say to you, your sins are forgiven. And we know that it is only in that moment that we can know that we are truly, fully, and eternally loved. I don't really know what that paralyzed man expected that day when his friends picked up his mat and said, we're going to take you to see Jesus. What I do know is that because he met Jesus and heard the words, friend, your sins are forgiven, and then get up, pick up your mat and go home, his life was never the same again. And at a guess, neither were the lives of his four friends. His world, their world, was turned upside down. A man very much on the outside had been invited in. Four friends Committed enough to bring their friend to Jesus and lives turned upside down. Four friends desperate enough to lift the roof off for a friend on his mat. Now, that is worth thinking about, isn't it? Amen.